Hello and welcome to The Queer Experience. My name is Eric, I use they pronouns, and today we're we're sitting down with game designer Claire Mulcairin to talk about all of her games, her uh, journey into tabletop gaming, and video, I mean, you make video games as well, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me, we'll just, we're going to jump right in, and I'm just going to say, if you want to Tell us a little bit about yourself. If you want to tell us your name, your pronouns, and maybe the fun little icebreaker question of just what what got you into like gaming in general? Yeah, so uh, my name is Claire Mulcairin, as you said, uh, pronouns she, her. And the it's interesting. I, I feel, I know that this is an interview about game design and stuff like mm-hmm. that and what got me into gaming. But I think the thing... A thing that's important to understand about me as an artist is that I, unlike a lot of creative people in a way that surprises me, I kind of do everything. I've always, I've never been like thought of myself as, oh, I am first and foremost like a video game fan or a game designer or, you know, oh, I love movies or I love music or I love comics or whatever. Um, And it always strikes me as kind of odd that it feels as though the dominant thing for a lot of people is to be into kind of one of these things, but not the other. Um, I know, I know a lot of people are in terms of like consumption, but in terms of creation, Mm. um, a lot of people only seem interested in making one thing. And so I, I got into games because, you know, whatever, I was a little, I was a little nerd, a little indoor kid growing (laughs) up in the nineties. So, I mean, you know, who, who was not into video games? But I I think like, I kind of have always wanted to do everything. (laughs) I've always, and the practical realities of only having one life and it not being good career trajectory necessarily to, oh, I'm going to make a comic. Now I'm going to make a podcast. Now I'm going to make a video game. Now I'm going to make a tabletop role-playing game. It's it's probably not what you should be doing, uh, but it's what I've been doing. And... I, I don't know. It's been working out okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. and I, I feel like it's like if you, if you got the multiple passions and you've got the creative ability to do multiple things, like do multiple things. Yeah. Um, it, I guess, I guess to me, it always feels like the same skill set as well. Like, I don't feel mm. like I necessarily need to learn. I don't know. I got a weird brain of like synesthesia, but for <laughs> like <laughs> different types of art media and stuff like that. Like I, I just kind of, I kind of do everything and it just it like I said it's weird for me that that that's not how all artists work. I'm like you just made a video game. You want to make another video game? Why? You just made one. Go make a podcast, make a comic or something. I don't know. Like right. so go go do this other like go turn your video game into a tabletop game or vice versa. Right. Or... Right, right, right. Yeah. What? So, so anyway. Yeah, so so for you and what I guess what got you interested then in doing like the design side of it. So like, obviously at, you know, at a young age playing video games, getting into things, you're avid and you know, all that, but there's like a, a point where you're like, I enjoy this medium and this thing. And now I will create in this thing. Yeah. Again, I don't know. This is, this is weird. It, I think it's always been that way for me. Like, um, I didn't know how to program games when I was growing up, there was not as much, at least that was available to me beyond like, I mean, I played RPG maker. I got, you know, when I was around like 12 or something, whenever that, uh, that first became available. And I think I've just kind of like, I don't, there was not a time before I was 
drawing and writing stories. Um, I played my first role-playing game when I was in fourth grade with my older brother. And uh, I've just been kind of always doing this. And it's, I, I can't imagine a me that is not this, like the, this desire to create stuff all the time is very much at the core of my being. So I, I kind of don't know how to answer. Like, it's just, no, that's, yeah. Well, wait, what was the, what was the tabletop game you played it when you were in fourth grade? So um, my brother, I think he had played some stuff with some other people. And for the first few years when we were doing this, it was very unstructured. It was not, it didn't really have like a lot of official rules. We had played a lot of video games and we kind of understood what role-playing games were. And so we kind of, it was kind of our own like homebrew stuff with very loose rules that mm-hmm. were, and they were all very video gamey in a lot of ways. Like we would, um, you know, it, we would talk about it in terms of like, we could even in the middle of the role-playing game, like save our game and load it and try different paths and stuff. And like, that was, that was because like we had played video games first and um, we kind of stumbled into it using these kind of tools of another medium and understanding it very differently than the way that tabletop games are often understood. And the other weird thing was that for the first like many years of me doing tabletop gaming um it was always just one-on-one with my older brother and we'd like take turns with who was gming and who was playing but i i actually have i got i have probably like more hours of like solo one-on-one role-playing games than anyone else i know you know (laughs) which is which is very very different experience than so unfortunately whenever i when i um am in a group setting i have to fight the urge to not be a spotlight hog because you know mm. i'm like but i'm the main character is kind of <laughs> and i have to be like no there are other people here at this table and we are all we are all equal here so like i but i have my own special side quest that will take the next approximately two to three sessions that i will yeah. just play out in front of everybody <laughs> yeah um yeah and then in terms of like actually moving into designing tabletop games um, I mean, I, I think we've always, we were always kind of doing some version of that very um, informally, but then as I started to get into, like, actually, when I was more of a teenager, like, learning how to actually play real role-playing games, mm-hmm. um, the first game that I understood the rules well enough that I could run it, rules as written, without a book, and, like, I fully grokked it. I fully understand the rules. I started to hack it and everything was Savage Worlds. Mm, okay. um, I like that one because it was it was simple. It had these kind of like little tiny hints of story gaminess that I liked. And it was just fast. And I like the fact that as your stats get bigger, you get to pick up bigger dice because that is fun. That is just <laughs> satisfying in, in yep. a certain way. And um, so I, I would like hack that and stuff. And um, I spend in like the aughts, I got really into the kind of new story game boom that was going on um, with stuff like, you know, um, kind of some of the forge type stuff of like um, uh, Sorcerer, My Life with Master, and then, you know, uh, Primetime Adventures, Polaris, Penny for My Thoughts, like all of the, you know, Dogs in the Vineyard, all of those kinds of like proto pre- powered by the apocalypse um kind of indie game boom 
And I tried my hand at designing a couple little things in that time. Um, and then, yeah, I've just kind of, I've just kind of always been doing it and I have a giant pile of unreleased stuff. And then just in the past couple of years, I finally started to be like, fine, I'll start putting some of this stuff up on itch or whatever. But yeah. yeah which is, I which actually is how, is how I found you, which was through, mm. um, one of you, I, I think I have one or two of your games through bundles. Oh yeah. Which, bought. which game would it have been? Uh, I have the, the transatlantis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, fun story about Transatlantis. I can kind of like get into that now if you want. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. Um, so I've the, the thing with that was I had several games in various states of completion that I had designed in years before that. But um, then I, that was one that sort of kind of came to me in a flash and I just did it in a couple weeks and put it out. And unlike my sort of endless tinkering perfectionism, never releasing anything, uh, I actually did put that one out because it was part of the game jam. In fact, um, two of the games that I have on my itch are for game jams. And so that for me is a great way to actually finish things, you know? Um, so the, um, the thing with that was that there was this account called bad tabletop role-playing games and, the the joke of it is that they come up with ideas for quote unquote bad RPGs. And then they had a game jam where actually design an, you had to actually design an RPG based on one of their tweets. And um <laughs> the one that I picked was they tweeted, we need more games like Beam Saber that turn their players trans. Um and I I I was vaguely familiar with Beam Saber. I know it's like an anime kind of giant robot fighting thing. And apparently mm. it turns you trans, you know? So, um, and then I had the thought, I was like, hmm, what would be an RPG that would turn someone trans? And then I, you know, thinking about it, like the kind of not joke version of it would be uh, an RPG about like exploring gender that could maybe spark something in someone to like cause them to like expand their feelings about gender, find their identity, a safe space to explore identity, you know, that kind of thing as a game. And um, yeah, I I ended up designing this game where uh, in the, you know, not too distant future, the earth has been conquered by aliens and the aliens have mind control powers that are based on language, but due to a weird uh, glitch in their abilities, um, trans people are immune to the mind control is, is the thing. Um, and it's thought that it has something to do with the fact that when you transition, you break, you kind of jailbreak your brain in some way where you now get to name yourself and decide how you will be referred to. Mm. And thus your brain becomes in some way incompatible with this language-based mind control that's based on labeling and controlling you. You control the language of your brain and not the other way around because you've like given yourself admin access to your own brain, you know, so you can like reject it or something. And the game, uh, I, I still really like the setting of it and stuff. I, I think that I was in the first edition of it that I made, I was very conscious of wanting to make it very um, kind of wish fulfillment E and sort mm-hmm. of, it's like you get to make this idealized, awesome character who's perfect in every way. And it's actually very hard to fail intentionally because I want it to be about like being cool and being great. And what I found though, is I had a lot of really great first sessions with it, but no one wanted to come back for another session really, because I feel like 
every session was kind of, it's like, well, we already did it and we're great and we're cool. And there's not, there was not a lot of struggle. And I think it was because I was very conscious of not wanting it to be about suffering because I was very conscious about like telling a queer story that is like negative and, and about suffering and stuff. But I, I think I realized that I, I played it with, um, with some people, including some cis people. And, uh, I was telling him that, you know, and what he, what he basically said to me is that there's nothing about this game that feels trans apart from the fact that your character is trans, you know, but mm. apart from that, it's just about being cool. And I was kind of thinking like, yeah, I know, but that was kind of the ideas. I didn't really want it to, I, I want it to just be about how cool trans people are, but, and then he, he basically said like, well, what does it mean to you to be trans? And I remembered this quote by, uh, I'll just say what the quote is first, uh, find out who you are, then do it on purpose. And that is a quote from Dolly Parton, which I, I love. It's one of my favorite quotes. And, um, and then I had that thought of like, because the, because for me being trans is about, um, it's about being yourself on purpose. It is about it, most of the trans people that I know have very distinct honed senses of themselves in terms of their fashion sense and their values in, um, because I think that, you know, I think that people, a lot of people inherit culture sort of passively and inherit their interests sort of passively. But when you go through the process of being trans, you kind of have to rebuild yourself. You no longer have this character that you inherited, you know, as like a randomly rolled character. You basically remake your character in to use, you know, role-playing game terms. And so a lot of the, the trans people I know have very specific aesthetics and have a very specific look that they've chosen on purpose. Um, that is That is not always the case with some cis people who have often more of an un, un, unconsidered, you know, uh, persona, I think is a way to, was a way to put it. Um, obviously this isn't true one-to-one. -one. I'm not claiming we're the superior master race, whatever, but, um, the, and then I, and I thought the, the new version of Transatlantis then is basically, I had the thought that instead of making it where you start off at the end, what if I give you a random character at the beginning and you actually don't get to decide a lot of things about them, but over the course of play, as you level, you get kind of, your character sort of mutates in these different random ways, and you have to decide to sort of accept or reject the different new traits that your character is getting. And so in session one, you basically have kind of character sheet dysphoria looking at your character, and over the course of it, you <laughs> your character transitions as you get more powers and stuff. Because like, you're starting off as a space pirate, but maybe you're one of your starting traits, I think I, we had someone playing who was a lawyer, and it's kind of like, there's a thing sort of like fate aspects or whatever. One of your abilities is lawyer. It's like, cool. Anytime you can find a way to use that, um, you can, and you can like get a bonus or whatever, but like, it never came up. He's like, I hate this. Why is this one of my traits? And then as the, as the game goes on, you know, you get new abilities and it's like, oh, cool. Now I have stealth or piloting or something. I'm going to get rid of this lawyer trait that is no longer a part of my identity. Now I'm a space pirate and I've decided that this is who I'm going to be, you know? And so it's the story of 
transitioning from being a normal person into being a super powerful, cool, futuristic, magical cyberpunk space pirate. And that then, you know, so that is that is the new version of the game that I'm actually a lot more excited about it. And I've played it several more times, but it is not currently available. Um, I'm probably going to do a Kickstarter. But um, yeah, that was my big, long transatlantis rant. You you said you were it was the thing that brought you to and yeah, I, I love it. I'm very proud of it. But at the same time, when people bring it up, I'm like, don't look at the version on the website right now. That's the bad version. I want the good version, you know? So I think what I think when I was going through the game, because I was looking at some games that we were going to try and play and I saw it, and it yeah. I was like, oh, right. Space Pirates. And I was like, read it. And I was like, it was like, do not play this right now. This game is, <laughs> is broken and I'm working on part two. And I was like, ah, yeah. I'll wait for part two then. And I mean, people people have played it and have liked it and I've played it and I've liked it. But now that I've played the other version, I'm like, no, I can't. I can't have it out there. But anyway. But, but I love that. I, I love the idea that you, that you talked about, like of the here's your character sheet. It is what it is. And you have what you yeah. have. Too bad for you. And like going on this journey that feels very like emulating of potentially like a trans experience of. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, this part is no longer a part of me. This I've, I'm picking up these new things. I'm learning things about myself. Um, I love that. And I'm, I, you know, I will have to know when the Kickstarter goes up. Cause I will be, I will be waiting. I'll be just like the, the memes with like, just here, take my money. Um, yes, good, good. <laughs> so when you're, when you're making games and, and this, I know you, cause I know you do video games as well. Mm-hmm. Um, are there certain parts of the game design that like really get you going? Like, you know, for some people it's like, really getting into like making a crunchy magic system or a character creation process or want, you know, wild combat rules. You talked about Savage World and that had some like the combat rules in that were int- was always interesting to me because it was like the card based like initiative order thing. I ran I ran yeah. a, a campaign in Savage World. So I was like, oh, I actually get that reference sometime. Yeah. Um. So I've I have since gone through like multiple different eras of feeling different ways on game design since <laughs> I played Savage Worlds. Um, currently, like I'm a huge fan of of PBTA um, mm-hmm. for kind of like philosophical reasons about the sorts of gameplay that it tends to create. Um, I think that the place where I'm at right now, um, there's a game designer named uh, Mark Diaz Truman, who's the head of Magpie Games, that mm-hmm. has published a lot of PBTA stuff. Um, he designed Cartel. Um, that was kind of his baby, but he was also on the team for stuff like Masks and also the Avatar The Last Airbender RPG that they got. Um, and he, I I see him when he comes to RinCon every year. It's a con we have in um, Tucson, uh, okay. a role-playing game con. And um, we've kind of become friends over the past few years though. And he's been, he's just such a smart dude about game design and stuff. And chatting with him has shifted some of my views on design or kind of honed them a bit. And I think that um, the place where I'm at right now in terms of my game design philosophy is I, I, I am attracted to games in PBTA or other stuff similar to that where there is some sort of mechanical economy that generates fiction in a sort of bottom-up way without like a larger um, pacing plot structure, the sort of thing you would see in a lot of older story games. Yep. And 
the thing that Mark has basically said is that um, basically if you have a game that is, if you have sorts of like types of stories that are coming out of a game, but the mechanics are not responsible for that directly, then whereas the game may be like fun or you may have a good time, but it's not, the game didn't do that. And mm. I think that a lot of designers let themselves off the hook too easily where they will have an idea of like what the game is shooting for. And then they will often have mechanics that are kind of doing that, but you have to do a lot of the lifting still. And I think for me, the kind of, um, the standard that I shoot for that I don't always reach is the idea that the mechanics and the themes and everything are all integrated one-to-one -one, inseparable. And when you play it, it tells the story because of the rules and, you know, in, in this way, I think that a really, a good example of that is some of the stuff in masks. Um, are you familiar with that one? You guys have played oh, that right on this thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm running it. I'm running it this weekend for, uh, for a group. Uh, yeah. It's it's pro possibly my favorite like tabletop RPG ever. And I actually got to play it with Brendan Conway one time, the designer, oh, and that was really cool. He's nice. very good at running that game, it turns out. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I think that Masks, for instance, they, the thing that that one's about theoretically is that idea that when you are young, um, your identity is always shifting your feelings about yourself is all shifting. And then you're often overcome by strong emotions that make you do dumb things. And that's what being a teenager is like. Mm -hmm. And so the game, it's your stats are your labels. It's how you feel about yourself and they shift. Adults tell you, no, you are this. No, you should be more like this. And it shifts. And then that changes how good you are at different things. And then when bad things happen to you, you get emotional. And one way you can remove them is by acting like a dumb teenager. You know, so it'll be like in order to whatever clear anger, you have to break something important. I think in order to clear insecure, you have to run into a dangerous situation without the rest of your team. And because of that, you get to act in the ways that of the fiction that it's shooting for of, you know, the genre that you're creating of dumb superhero teens with lots of feelings. But <laughs> the mechanics are the reason why that's happening, you know. Right. And um, and that's like I said, what I'm trying to shoot for now with with Transatlantis. The the analogy that I always used was um, I I say it's the DMV thing, like by which I mean my I um, if you go to the DMV with your with a good friend of yours, they come along with you. Maybe you have to wait for a couple hours, and uh, maybe it's boring on some level, but um, your friend was there, and so you had a great time you laughed, whatever you and your friend had a good time at the DMV, but the DMV is not fun. <laughs> you and your friend had fun at the DMV. <laughs> and, and I think that way about certain game design things where I see this, I'm like, ah, you and your friends can have fun with this, but this game design is the DMV. <laughs> and, and, you know, and yep. so that that's, that's the way that I, that's what I'm trying to shoot for. Um, and then on a deeper level, like thematically, I don't know. I mean, a lot of my stuff thus far has been about, you know, queerness and transness, both in that I made Transatlantis the um, RPG. And then I also 
my two video games that I've made so far, one is called Heartfire, and it's about uh, it's a top-down shooter about lesbian dragons in space. Um, and I also made Apocryphana, which is a first-person adventure game that I made with my girlfriend Valerie. Um, that is um, takes place in a strict kind of religious boarding school, and it's about a haunted trading card game. Kind of like mm -hmm. Pokemon or Magic the Gathering, but it's forbidden by the nuns because they think that it's satanic. And spoiler alert, maybe it actually is a little bit, but maybe that's cool because maybe the demons are actually chill. But um, so I, I think in terms of the deeper stuff, I I think that I'm I'm wanting to explore ideas of queerness and bring this all together. I think that if I could kind of some of the best things I've heard about some of my games like Apocryphana or Transatlantis is a thing that will help people who aren't queer um, know what it's like and understand mm -hmm. us a bit better and help people that are queer to feel seen and feel connected. I have watched a couple streams for um some of my games i've watched some streams of apocryphana for instance and uh it's night and day if it's a queer streamer or if it's some some dumb straight boy you know it's it's <laughs> um in terms of how much they understand the metaphors of what's going on in the game um but and and you know i'm not i'm not a famous whatever thing i have like 300 something twitter followers so it's a very rare experience, but it's very rewarding to see someone playing a thing and talking about it and understanding the subtext that I'm going for and saying, oh yeah, no, for real, this is what it feels like. This is what it is. And then expanding on it. And, and so I think that for me, I want, my kind of goal as a designer is I want, I want to help people who aren't queer understand us. And I want queer people to feel connected and ideally, I'd like to crack some eggs. I'd like to um, help some help some poor people out there who think they are cis or think they are straight, maybe realize that they are not. <laughs> That's always I love how I was hearing the story, especially like I mean, people that do long D and D campaigns, like oh yeah, my my D and D campaign has like uh, you know kind of like the was it like Carrie Colby from Drag Race where like everyone started coming out as trans on her season and she like collected yeah. them up like infinity stones like yeah, you'll be like, yeah, my, yeah. Start, my party started out as a bunch of cishets but by the end yep yep went uh, somewhere else yeah the um I have heard I do know at least one person who switched pronouns after playing Transatlantis so it has happened in the past um but in terms of yeah like I'm now running this campaign for, um, it's an actual play podcast that okay. um, basically what happened was um, I'm a big fan of Digimon okay. and uh, I several years ago was on a podcast called the Gameable Podcast, which is one of my favorites. It's now defunct, but it's really cool. And the idea with that is that the hosts would watch a movie or a show and then talk about how you would adapt it into a tabletop game, um, mm. which is just a great premise, first of all. Right. And uh, I was on during a season when they were doing Saturday morning cartoons. And 
I they asked me what I wanted to be on for, and I said Digimon, and I did it. And then afterwards, I was like, no, I actually have to make this game because I was really excited about it. And so I went and I did it, and then I put it in a drawer for several years. And then, uh, like last year, one of my friends was like said on on Twitter, so are there any good Digimon actual play RPG podcasts out there? And then and then there were several responses from other online mutuals of mine saying like. No, but I would love to either listen to one or play one if there was one. And then uh, after several of those responses, I was like, yeah, I designed this this role-playing game. Here's a link to the Google Drive. And I could already see the dominoes falling and I didn't mm -hmm. want them to, but I didn't. And then they're like, oh, this is great. You should run this. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I guess I'm doing an RPG podcast now. And then when, I, when we finished it, they're like, who's going to edit it? And I'm like, I kind of don't trust anyone but me to do it. So I guess I'm editing a <laughs> podcast now as well. And I just kind of fell into it and it's been delightful so far. Um, and, uh, but to bring it around to what you were saying, I am really hoping that by the end of it, uh, cause it's a very queer podcast to start off, but we have a couple holdouts, but I think we can get through to them. You know, the last few <laughs> non-queers in the group, I feel like we can reach them. So I want, I want your last session to just be you bringing out like Kool-Aid and rainbow cups and just be like, this mm -hmm. is, this is the final session. This is where you have to officially drink and join us. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And what, um, and what's that like been, what's that been like playing, like running a game for something that like you designed? Yeah. Um, well, so I was previously on a podcast called Smash Fiction and um, my brother, as part of that, ran a monthly RPG for us as this actual play thing. And so we, it ended up having like 50 episodes or whatever. And um, so I had a lot of time being in and then getting to listen back to an actual play RPG podcast and thinking about over the course of it, hmm, how would I do this if I was a GM, you know? And it's a very different experience, you know, role-playing uh, for actual play than it is at the table. I, um, and, and I think that there are certain games that lend themselves better to creating good actual play, assuming you're engaging with the rules. I think, you know, to bring it back to my DM, my DMV thing, I think the reason that, a lot of players play a game that for the, the purpose of this, I'll call Dungeons Manned Vragons um, <laughs> uh, is because it's, you know, whatever, the only game in town, the one that everybody knows. But you, you will notice how infrequently people actually engage with the rules. And I think that people, there's stuff that players say and people say online like, oh, we play D&D, but we don't even use any of the rules or... Honestly, another one, and this may be a little bit of heresy to say, but where people are like, oh, the GM had a plan, but then the players decided to ignore all of that. And we just got obsessed with this one NPC and went off in a completely different direction. When I hear those stories, I I feel like kind of that classic Twitter thing of like, no, don't laugh at this, please. Players only do this when they're very stressed. This is not a sign of a healthy player, like they'll have with the animal footage or whatever, you know? Yep. So for me, I actually don't think those stories are cute. And I'm like, play a different game. Like, don't do that. Like, I don't know. I mean, if everybody's having fun, nobody's being hurt, whatever, I guess. But like, I, um, I, I think that, for instance, something like masks, 
whenever the, the, the larger structuring thing in masks that like, it's just kind of pure fiction most of the time. And mm-hmm. then whenever you engage with the rules, you briefly pop out of the fiction, do a role, pop back into the fiction with a new direction, you know? And yep. it's, it's never just like mechanics into mechanics, into mechanics, into mechanics in, in the way that can happen with a crunchier system. And it always, you get the sort of fictional input, move is triggered, fictional output, we're back in the story, you know? And I, I think that, and I think that the system in something like masks, you know, pushes, does push the story into new and exciting directions. And so um, I didn't originally design this RPG to be something that would be in an actual play. Um, for the record, because I, I don't think I've said it, um, the the podcast is called Binary Break. Mm-hmm. And um, the system that we're using is my homebrew Digimon game, which I called Digidice. And um, the, yeah, so... Um, but I, I've actually had to change some of the rules um, a little bit because I wanted it to be friendlier for actual play. Um, there were these some, there was this somewhat more uh, open-ended mechanics where, in terms of like mechanics that that if you're following them to the letter of the law, won't always create a good a good story that resolves when you want it to. Um, there was some of the stuff about, for instance, what you have to do in order to unlock the new levels of power for your, your Digimon partner and stuff like that. And it's the sort of thing where like, if the dice and the cards don't go the right way, it can kind of keep not happening or happen at weird times dramatically. There was this whole system that I had to it. And I'm like, we're doing this actual play. I don't want to be doing this forever. And I want this to be something that other people listen to and enjoy. So I'm taking all that out. And I'm just telling the players, you tell me when it's dramatically appropriate for you to unlock your new form in like, you know, at the appropriate moment. And beyond that, I'm not worrying about it. But, um, and and so stuff like that you have to do. I also find it really helps when you're doing an actual play to write out descriptions of stuff ahead of time uh, so that you can have some good like box text and you're not right. just, because for me at least, I do a lot of, um, uh, so, uh, 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 and you know, I kind of stumble my way through stuff and because I'm now editing, it's a pain in the butt to edit all of those ums out. And also I say the word kinda so many times and I hate how much I say kinda. I it's, if you ever want to become, well, I'm sure you have a podcast. You're probably now very aware of all of your annoying vocal tics, correct? Oh, as you're, as you're saying it, I was like, yep. uh Uh-huh. The ums, the uhs. And then I do, uh, my other phrase is I'm going to say that. Yes. Yes. Like listening to it back. I'm like, I am learning so much about my everything. I don't like it, but here we are. No, I do a lot of, I'm going to say as well. Well, well, GMing. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm like, you don't have to say, I'm going to say it. You just say it. You're going to say it. So just say it. You don't have to like, yeah, it's anyway. Well, um, I apologize that I've been, how, how long are we supposed to go? Is this supposed to be uh, like an hour-ish or what did you want? Yeah. I was like, this was probably going to be, I was going to ask you about kind of what's up, what's coming up. Sure. So do, you, do you have, I know you, I know you're working on Transatlantis kind of second mm-hmm. edition, um, but are there other fun things that you have kind of on the, on the burners at the moment? 
Um, right now, I think like, you know, binary break is eating up a lot of time, the editing for it and stuff like that. And um, we have a decent sort of um, backlog of episodes, but that's eating up a lot of my time. I want to get back to Transatlantis, but that is the thing on the horizon is going to be the second edition of that. Um, and then, you know, of course I have a million other projects I want to do at some point. Magical girl, roguelike adventure RPG that is also a dating sim. Uh, I, but I love whole, every word you just thing. said. Every yeah, word in that sentence was wonderful. The the hook of it being that you're um, a magical girl that gets your powers in your late 20s. Unlike all of the other ones who got their powers when they were like 13 because you just transitioned. And so now you've fun you finally become a magical girl. And so you're the magical girl who's like, everyone else is like the same age as you, but they've been doing it for 10, for like 15 years. And so you have, so you're the shittiest one because in terms of the thing I'm talking about, about my goal being showing non-cis people what it's like to be queer mm -hmm. and show and having solidarity with other queer people. That's what it feels like to be a trans woman sometimes. It's like, wow, I feel like I'm simultaneously 30 and a 13-year-old girl who has to learn everything and everyone else knows more than me. So uh, those are the projects on the horizon at some point. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I know this is an interview and so I probably shouldn't be too self-conscious about this, but I feel like I've talked way too much. Um, do you have any other questions you want to ask or has any of the stuff I've been saying like been sparking anything in you or... Oh, well, I mean, I, cause I had to, I like draft up some questions and I think like, I was looking at some, I was like, oh, you've like woven all like, cause I was going to ask about being a trans, like specifically being a mm -hmm. trans game designer, but I feel like you've also, and maybe you have other things to say about that, but I also feel like you've kind of layered that into talking about how you create your games and the experiences you want to have. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess my, my, my question could be like, is there anything, you know, knowing that is, it is a particularly cis het straight dude industry you know, I mean, I feel like there's a lot more queer and trans folks popping up in the gaming world, but like by and yeah. large, like the big overarching is all very cishet. Um, what what have you found to be the experience of like kind of breaking into that industry? I mean, you talked about meeting up with the Magpie Games yeah. guy at Ren Fair or RenCon. RinCon, R-I-N. So it's a weird Rincon, word that I okay. guess you probably won't know because you're not from Tucson, but we have a mountain range called the RinCon Mountains here in Tucson. Yep. And unfortunately, the better name for a convention in Tucson was already taken by a sci-fi convention, which is Tuscon. And that is oh. the that is that is a sci-fi convention. And so they could not call it that, unfortunately. <laughs> but but yeah, I guess like, um, what's, what's that been like kind of navigating the gaming industry kind of with well, the different identities you hold? I mean, I don't consider myself in the gaming industry, honestly. I I make games, but okay. I've made I pretty much make them all by myself or one I made with my girlfriend. And like I said, I I have made a couple hundred dollars total from all of the games I have made. Um, and you don't want to figure out the hourly rate on that. <laughs> um and I mean I know this like and, and I have I have two other day jobs uh, that I do on the side. Uh, the one somewhat, you know, rewarding job is that I write for Looper, the um, entertainment journalism website. I write articles for them. And I have another just pay the bills job as well. And um, so, I mean, I don't really know, honestly, like. Uh, um, this idea of. I mean, I'd love to be in the games industry someday, but 
I don't currently feel like I am. I just make games and then a couple hundred people download them and I get a couple nice comments. And then every, once a month, it's like, you got $5. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> like, so <laughs> let me just save if, that if for you, a rainy so day. I, I'm going to turn this around on you. If you have any thoughts about how I can get into the games industry, I would love to hear them. Oh man. If I knew that, um, no, I think I'm, cause I'm, obviously like I do the podcasting stuff and I, I've been doing a bunch of actual plays and I have on my back burner a, um, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of monster of the week, a little bit of monster hearts, and I'm putting it mm-hmm. together to make a messy queer slasher game. Hell yeah. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm going to say the name out loud now. Cause I barely told anybody, but we're calling it the final queers. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, but like, and coming up with like the playbooks are like, and even there, I'm still like, I've been trying to find ways to like, who do I know? How can I like talk with people? And I, the, I, I mean, a lot of the stuff I've, I've done in terms of connecting with folks has literally just been like the, I live in Boston. So I live near PAX East when it comes around. Mm-hmm. Um, I just literally go like, at this point, that's all I'm doing. But I feel like I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat where it's like, I'm probably just going to make like, this might be my only one who knows. Yeah. But like, I just want to make a game because like, it would be super fun to do that. And it takes all the things that I've liked from all these other games and meshes it into one. And we get to be messy queers who maybe survive a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck and I'm sorry <laughs> to end on a kind of depressing note, but like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really flattered to be being interviewed by this, but at the same time, uh, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm very proud of the stuff that I've done, but like, I have by no means made it. So I think the thing that I'll say at this point to anyone who's listening is, hey, go play one of my games and then tell your friends because I would love yeah. to be in the gaming industry and I am currently not. Uh, if you <laughs> like shoot 'em ups with gay dragons, play Heartfire. If you like horror, that is also funny and weird and queer. And you have uh, odd memories of middle school and trading card games to play Apocryphana. Um, if you like Digimon, then, you know, check out Digidice. And even if you don't, you should probably listen to Binary Break because I know several people that know nothing about Digimon that started liking it, that started listening to it and still really like the podcast. So, uh, and then I guess if you are trans or feel like you might be trans or feel like you're definitely not trans, regardless, you should probably play Transatlantis, but not the version that's up there. You can read it, but don't play it. You're not just, allowed to just marinate so. with it. Just sit with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and Claire, I mean, these are all great, great things and I'll put them in the show notes, but where, where can people find you and your games? Yeah. So um, I am on uh, the website, formerly known as Twitter at Claire Mulcairin, also blue sky, you know, Claire Mulcairin dot blue sky dot social or whatever it is. And um, I believe that my website is claremelcaren.itch.io. I'm going to double check for where my games are. Uh, yeah, I have I have it up. And that is. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. So that one, um, claremelcaren.itch.io, if you want to check out my games. And um, I am, you know, like I said, I, I think I make cool shit, but uh, not a lot of people know who I am. So if you play one of my games and you like it, tell a friend or tell me because I have not gotten to the point yet where I am tired of hearing people be like, Hey, that was good. I liked your game and uh, it makes me happy. So please do that. 
I am I am a hoe for praise and attention, and I have a very <laughs> fragile ego, but at the same time, I am very easily flattered by praise. I, I take all of the criticisms, but I also take all of the praise and yep. and I need it. I need the praise. <laughs> well, and again, I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and chat with me um, and talk about the games and everything. I do. I do need to, to look into the video games. I haven't. I I just have, I feel like I'd run out of time for everything. And I'm like, people talk about these. And I'm like, no, that would be super fucking cool. I want to play this satanic card game. They're they're very short too. Both of the games yeah. you can probably beat in a couple hours. So yeah, nice. but um, all right. Well, then to wrap up, I uh, so as folks listening know, you can find the Queer XP at on Twitter, Facebook, Blue Sky, Instagram, all at the Queer XP. And then just the quick reminder of what's on the deck. So the next episode you'll hear after this is we're actually it's gonna be two parts because it took us uh, extra time to get through because we're having so much fun. But we played our traveling home by Ash, uh, and they actually came in and facilitated it with us. So it's a game based on Howl's Moving Castle. It was a GM-less experience, and when I tell you, it was so good and so joyful. Um, And then the following week, we're doing a game called The Exceptionals, which is a X-Men-inspired game written by a queer Indigenous author. And so we're that was also already recorded in the can, and it was also super fun and in a very different way than Our Traveling Home, but both of those are on the docket for November. Uh, but thank you once again for joining me. I'm Eric. This is the Queer XP, and everyone have a wonderful week. Bye.